is Crush on Radio. I'm Rich Anderson, your host. This is the, the first of the relaunched Crush on Radio, which is uh, I uh, bring on really cool people and talk to them about the albums that are important to them. And my guest this week is, uh, he needs no introduction, except that he does need an introduction. This is Merlin Mann of Back to Work fame, of Roderick on the Line fame, of 43 Folders fame, of the band Bacon Ray fame, for, for certain values of fame, I guess, right? Yeah. Hi, Richard. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's good talking to you. Likewise. Uh, uh, thank you so much for, for agreeing to do this. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. Yeah. The record you uh, we want your you, you brought to my attention is uh, the it's the third album by the Wrens. Oh gosh, something like that. Yeah, they're 2000. What was it? 2002, 2003 record. Uh, the Meadowlands. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, according to Wikipedia, the repository of all knowledge, yes, 2003. Wikipedia is never wrong. Never wrong. We, when we were talking about which um, talk, what to talk about, this this really stuck out to me because I've heard of the Wrens. I don't know where, but I've never actually sat down and listened to them before. So That would make you a pretty typical future Wrens fan. They're, uh, I mean, gosh, there's so much I love about this album and about this band. Uh, and, you know which I, I hope we'll have time to go into, you know, but part of it is that they struggled along in relative obscurity for a long time, got pretty close to having a, a big break and just, you know, internal, external, like all these different things. And, and none of it was like catastrophic. It wasn't like, you know, somebody in the band got leukemia before their big show or something, but it's, they've been, they've had all of these, little bumps in the road along the way, many of which they created themselves. And the band and this record in particular really resonate with me because, you know, they'd gotten a lot of critical acclaim as a cult band for their EPs and albums before this. And the Meadowlands took a really long time to make. And something that sometimes can be a little frustrating and stupid and annoying really works here, which is it's, it is an, album about the band in some ways it's about i don't want to say it's about the process of making the record but it's about the process the of making this i'm making this not sound like a rock and roll record i'm making this sound like a therapy session but it's a terrific album about growing up really poorly not poor but being a really crappy grown-up who's to quote one of my favorite lines from the song uh from the album i'm the best 17 year old ever it's like I finally figured out how to be a decent 17-year-old, but now I'm in my 30s making $12,000 a year. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's one of those albums that, it, it's a bad one to spring on you if you haven't listened to it a lot, because it's one of those albums for me, one of those probably 10 or 15 albums that I just listen to on repeat over and over. It really is a whole album, and it's about, it's a, I think in some ways it's about the difficulties of trying to make it as a grown-up, but especially of trying to, if you like, make art as a grown-up and uh, all the things that can get in your way. And the fact that it ever got put out at all is a miracle. Um, and it's it's absolutely uh, one of my favorite albums of all time, but also very special to me for lots of reasons I'd be happy to go into. But it, you know, it was, when it did come out, it was, I think part of it was when it, when it came out, it got a really good review on Pitchfork and great word of mouth. But, you know, they continue to keep their day jobs, keep plugging along, and now, over 10 years later, they're finally about to finish the next album after all that time. So it isn't like it isn't like Happily Ever After happened as soon as, you know, the needle lifted from uh, the Meadowlands. So it's, it's a great story, a great album, great band, and I can tell you, knowing them, that they are wonderful guys as well. So, yeah, Meadowlands. Wow. Yeah, it's... It's interesting with the the, the backstory. I have a, a few friends who are professional musicians, one of which uh, I'm hoping to get her on the show soon because she's finally after, oh, let's see, I think I've known her since 2008, six years uh, after we, we first met in her band search, she's finally putting out her first record, 
uh, in October, pushed back from March, uh, which was pushed back from to to all sorts of incredibly horrifying external factors, and it's the story of of, of the the backstory of this record uh, just from my experience with my friend. Uh, her name is Sherry Vera. She is uh, her act is uh, Void Vision. It's electronic stuff, and it's it. it it's not the same story, but there's enough commonality that it makes me just go, oh, oh, God, wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so, there's so many stories out there from, you know, God, go back as far as you want, back to the blues musicians who didn't get paid for stuff, you know, um, back to the Rolling Stones losing all of their money and all the rights to their songs, Billy Joel getting ripped off by his manager. I mean, there's a long history of you know, financial entanglements in rock and roll. The thing that I think makes, and I hear you, I mean, I have a lot of friends in the same position. The Wrens are my age, the band, which is, you know, they're in their 40s, uh, late 40s. Um, and so they really, they came of age uh, in a different time. So, you know, completely independently of one another, we all kind of grew up loving, loving the Pixies, you know, loving, you know, things like, I, I have to guess, things like prog rock. And things like, you know, in the case of Charles, the 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 uh, singer guitarist, one of the singers, the guitar main guitar, the lead guitarist, and primary songwriter. Charles is kind of like the one guy who works on the band closer to full time. And the story of how the other guy, what the other guys do, is fascinating. I'd love to talk about it. But we all grew grew up in that time, and so they came of age as a band at a time when success really meant getting signed to a label, getting to tour. And start building that kind of portfolio of albums that, you know, now today, this already, this already seems like a relic of a million years ago, that you would be a band that works on an album for a year and puts it out and tours on it and then puts another one out and so on and so on and so on. That whole business model has changed. Um, that whole approach has changed. Um, and even with the introduction, look at your friend, even with the introduction of, you know, being independent, more and more people doing stuff on their own, having electronic equipment to make all of this something you could do on a laptop, it still is a di very difficult process. And... While, if you're doing that while you're trying to be uh, a lawyer, if you're doing that while you're trying to be teach guitar lessons, if you're doing that while you're a financial consultant, these are all people in the rents. This is what they do for a living. There's there's two lawyers, a financial consultant, and a and a guitar teacher in the band. Sounds like uh, the setup to a bar joke. And they have yeah, it is. It sounds like it. it kind of, they are the the rents are the ultimate bar joke. They but they um, they, I mean they have families. They have stuff to deal with. They've gotten married. They've had kids. There was a time when three of them lived in a house together. I think at the time, run, in the run-up to Meadowlands, part of it was that they would just... It wasn't that they had not enough material. It was that they had too much material, and they'd overdub and overdub. And Charles would do all these different guitar and vocal things and crazy tricks and on and on and on. All the kinds of pitfalls that any of us can get into. And, um, but, but it's interesting that now today, I, you know... You mentioned Roderick on the line, the show I do with John Roderick, who has a band called The Long Winners. He's another one. All, all of my friends now have lived through uh, a real revolution in the way people make, sell, buy, consume, enjoy music. It's, and I think it's probably not an overstatement to say that everybody is still catching up to it. But in the case of the Wrens, I mean, their, their story um, makes you kind of not miss those glory days. I, I don't know how much. Did you get a chance to read up a little bit on their? It sounds like you read a little bit about their history. Yeah, I, I definitely. I went over the Wikipedia page. Um, well, you know, there's so much mythology around the Wrens, some of which they have really kind of done themselves. They've they've let certain mythological stories about the band go. You know, they, they think it's funny. I think, but there are a lot of you know funny things about the band. But one of the one of the stories that's pretty true is that they were um, they were on a label. A small, a small, you know, but you know, pretty successful independent label, and that label got acquired, and that happened to be the label that Creed was on, and suddenly oh. they found out. Well, but they found out the way the story goes that they found out while they were on tour, basically, that there was this, you know, now or never situation where they had to decide whether they wanted to contract under these certain terms, otherwise. They would just be, you know, straight cut off because all the resources and interest were going into this other band. I, I don't, I doubt they actually said that, but, you know, it's their 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 backstory is rife with a lot of these things that a lot of us struggle with, and the sort of I guess back to work part of it is, or the five by five part of it is that you know 
people like to think that, oh, you're, oh, you're in a band, you get to do stuff you like, and you get to travel around and have sex with strangers, and isn't that glamorous? But it's really, it's difficult, and um, it's work that doesn't have a net. There's not really much of a net to this kind of work, kind of work. And even if you do the best job that you can in the entire world and make it perfect and get it done on time, there's no guarantee that it's going to work out. And the things that do work out can be a really crazy surprise. It's it's an adventure to go out and try to make stuff for a living. And I think that they have really shown that it's not an easy adventure, but we could we can be grateful as fans for the times that they've managed to uh get stuff to market that, that we fans can enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. It's there what you said is is right with the stereotype of like being a, a rock star as oh, you you've made it. You're it's easy. You can, you know, sex with strangers and you know, eventually you just go to a studio and bang on something for a while. And, you know, it's making art in general is hard. Making art that, and not without compromise is hard and making a living doing it is the harder still. Well, making art that's good consistently and getting paid for it consistently is really difficult. And not just because the world's full of scammers and, and middlemen, middle persons, but also just because it's, it's a it's a difficult marketplace and and even and that's the funny part not we should probably talk about the album but i mean these are the conditions under which people make stuff today is that there's really no guarantee of anything there never really has been and even in the cases where we look back again look at the rolling stones that's that's a true story there the guy who took over their management in the early 70s took them to the cleaners they lost all their money he said he was paying their taxes and he wasn't they had to leave the country they lost the rights to all of those famous Rolling Stones songs from the 60s that we all know. And they just woke up one day with a totally different life after having been like the biggest, you know, uh, rock band in the world. There's a lot of people who, you know, a lot of bands in the 60s that were extremely popular for two or three years and, and never saw a nickel of it. So anyway, that's all you know, kind of backstory that doesn't get to what makes this band so great. But you can really feel in the creation of this album, like how much making music means to them. And I, I've always had this thing about certain bands where there's certain bands where you watch them and you think, well, they're up there because they like being admired. They like having this job. Um, you know, they like they like all the, the girls and the guys looking at them. But with the Wrens are one of those handful of bands that you can tell when they get the – they actually have a song about this, about, you know, being able to get out there and play and what it means, you know, when uh, when Jerry gets on the drums, right, when Kevin plugs in. Like when all that happens, that that's that's the members of the band they're talking about. In, in that song, I think that's uh, This Boy is Exhausted. And it's just about like what a pain in the ass it is to be able to get it together to have a live show when you're in your 30s. <laughs> but it's a fantastic rock song. speaks directly, even though they're talking about themselves, and it speaks directly to a problem that we all have, which is there's a time in your life when you have unlimited energy and possibilities, um, and, and stuff like money may not matter quite as much, and there's a time when that changes completely, and there's no one day when that happens. It's just that eventually there will come a time when you go, wait, this is really not as simple as it used to be. I got to be up to be in the office at 8 tomorrow. You know, in the case of Charles was a temp for a long time. You know, these are these are really, you know, difficult kinds of jobs to do. And it doesn't matter of just sitting around, you know, sleeping amongst a pile of beer bottles. There's there's a lot of work and sacrifice involved in that. So um, but I mean, that again, that doesn't get to the fact that this is just an amazing rock and roll album with a lot, a lot of range. You know, I, I, I'm hesitant to call it a concept album because I don't think they set out to write a song about a blind boy who plays pinball or something, but or, you know, the decline of uh, bucolic English culture. I, I think this is, uh, but it really works as a piece um, about those kinds of themes. And they really, it really feels like they're singing from the heart. So that, that, that means a lot to me. And the fact that they love to be up there doing it, um, I don't know, it, just, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Uh I've heard, uh, or at least in my in my research of the band, that they are known for some incredible live shows too. So, 
Oh yeah, they're 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 an amazing live band, and you know, uh, to to the the stuff that that Charles does with things like uh, I've seen Charles playing um, live by himself, and the stuff that he does with like a digital delay. I mean, the guy's a very very accomplished guitar player, and does stuff that I I, I don't even know how he does it. It's just magical stuff, but not pretentious, you know, but very out there, and sometimes. Um, very expressive and very kinetic. And and then, you know, Kevin, the bass player, who's the other main singer in the band, you know, he's not above. He, he comes out and he, he kind of looks like some guy you'd avoid in a bar. Like he's, he's got a leather jacket and he's wearing sunglasses and Oxfords or like, you know, like lawyer loafers and, and jumping off an amp and throwing his bass in the air. And it's really dorky in some ways, but that makes it even more rock and roll. Because it isn't like Ingve Malmsteen spinning his guitar around his neck and then you know hopping back into first class. These are guys going like, "This is the chance we get to play for like two months, and just we're just going to blow it out." And that's the times I've seen them probably at least half a dozen times, and uh, that's the energy that I've gotten every time is that, that we're playing like this might be the last time we ever play. I'm going to have to keep uh, an eye out for if they ever come to New York uh, when they tour this next album, if they tour. Well, that'd be the place. I mean, they're they're based in New Jersey, so right. they that's 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 their stomping grounds. Yeah, I think two of them work in Philadelphia, so I'm I'm thinking, goodness gracious, I could have been sharing the subway with indie rock. Uh, well, maybe superstar is the wrong term, but I, goodness, I probably I might have walked past these people at lunch uh, at my old at an old job. Well, you could walk past them in the bar, and and not realize it. You know, Charles and I used to joke that you know we 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 both. <laughs> I can't I can't say the words that we said, but you know we we look like the disabled guy that sweeps up after the show. We we both we both dress like like oversized like a cross between a thirteen year old boy and a and a lesbian, um, like a like a kind of bull dyke, big shorts, big big shirt, and uh, it's not a good look on anybody. But that's that's just uh, that's what they do. They're they're not you know it's. I don't know. It's it's so difficult to talk about music. It's hard to talk about an album, and this is one of those. I feel really close to this album, which makes it even more difficult. I discovered it through a bunch of friends of mine on Live Journal back in you know around two thousand three, whenever the album came out, and all my friends were just flipping out about this album. And when I finally listened to it, um, I liked it. I thought it was good. There was. I mean, there's like three or four just to me stand out like classic songs on the album where you instantly kind of get it. But it's it is a little bit of a slow burn as an album. But once it gets its hooks in, to me, it's like an REM album. An album, another album I suggest we talk about maybe was uh, Reckoning or you know Murmur. Albums like that get their hooks so far into me that I kind of can't listen to one song from it. I kind of need to hear the whole thing all the way through because that's the only way the song really makes sense. And you know, on a personal note. Uh, it was also, Mendelands was the album that I was listening to on repeat while I was setting up the 43 Folder site back in uh, 10 years ago, in 2004. So I, it has a special place in my heart. I've heard the album dozens and dozens of times, and it still gets me every time. You know, I think you actually have something, that might have been where I heard about these books before. Right? I mentioned it on the site, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I got, I don't remember how, I think I met them, how did I meet them? I met them through a, probably a friend on LiveJournal. I ended up doing their first website. Um, Charles made a, a Drupal joke the other day um, uh, in, <laughs> at my expense. <laughs> yeah, um, but like we, you know, put this site up for them, got all their lyrics up. It was a pretty big deal, a Drupal site, you know. You can have calendars and stuff. Um, and that was, I don't know how many years ago, back when, back when their album was just going to be coming out in a few months. So it was probably eight years ago. <laughs> But they're they're great guys. My uh, my old band from Tallahassee played with them uh, one night back in I think two thousand five, and they're, they're just they're, they're just the greatest. They're they're just really funny, super smart, sharp guys. And I, you know, like I, I feel so close to that album, and I feel so close to that band because I see. I can't help but see myself in them, where I feel that yearning to be able to produce something great on your own terms and be able to get it out in a way that you're happy with, and then to be undermined, yeah, partly by outside forces you don't control, but really largely by yourself too, and how long, how many times you will overdub this track until, you know, until the ADAT's falling apart, you know, and um, they, uh, they, have a, they have a lot of integrity without being real punk rock about it, and yeah, I don't know. I guess we could talk about the album. 
Yeah, I, I guess we could. Um, you know, it's just from listening to it. I think I've listened to it maybe about ten times in the last week or week and a half or however <laughs> really? long it's been. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I have the kind of job where I get to sit at my desk and bang away at stuff, and nobody gives a crap what I'm as long as I'm working, so I can just put on some either a podcast or a record or on my phone and just wail away. So, yeah, it's and it's one of those. It's it took the second listen for it to get a hook into me, and that every listen that hook is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, I you mentioned that you can't really just listen to one song off of the off of that off of the song off the album, and I kind of feel that way. It's like it doesn't feel it feels like as a record, it's a complete piece, right? That I can't. I didn't mean just mentally. I the only song that. I can like only a couple songs I can individually like pick out because it's just so, oh goodness, uh, just everything just goes all right into each other, flows the the up. It's it's a very up and down record. Yeah, but it's still very hard just listening to it to pick up. Oh oh, suddenly we're on a different song now until I realize. Oh wait, this is faster gun. Yes. Yeah, yeah, which sounds a little yeah. There's 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 a couple songs that well, and also the, the Rents have this funny thing that they do of referencing the titles of old songs in the lyrics for a newer song, which can be really really disorienting. And you'll hear lines like "I guess we're done." You'll hear that line in many different places. And there actually is a song called "I guess we're done," but you'll hear that line come up over and over. And as somebody who used to write, I hate to say poetry, but as somebody who used to write verse. I have a, I have a, I'm simpatico with people who are obsessed with patterns of words or the way that words just sound, just the musical quality of the way a bunch of words sound, which sounds so strange and pretentious, but it's why certain phrases catch on. There's some, there's a melody to language. And I mean, a lot of the British Isles poets know this. I mean, if you listen to anybody Welsh read their poem, it sounds like they're singing practically. And with the Wrens, it's very much like that, especially with Charles's songs, um, things like She Sends Kisses, things like, um, let's see, uh, dun, 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 like This Boy is Exhausted. You, you can tell the Charles songs pretty much. And the, the Kevin songs are much more anthemic and cock rock singing in some way, in a good way, in a good way, like very anthemic. But um, Charles's songs, the lyrics, uh, even if you read along on the lyrics sheet, it's it, he isn't, it isn't like he's singing words off a sheet. It's like he's making sounds with his mouth that happen to be words. And he's got lots, lots of little like vocal ticks that, that you'll pick up on over time, you know. He'll do this kind of like, you know, 13 grand, ah, and he'll do this, ah, and make these little noises <laughs> that really add to the musicality of it. It's almost like you're, you're like singing the song without words to somebody, but in this case there are words. And they're very, um, the lyrics are very impressionistic. Again, I mean, like to me, to me a song that you could play for somebody, just, just play for them, is She Sends Kisses, especially if they could like, follow along with the lyrics because it's just a heartbreaking like so many of their songs just a heartbreaking song about like there's what is it there's that word in portuguese i don't remember what the word is but there's this word untranslatable word in portuguese for the idea of a certain kind of like painful nostalgia that there's something that's really that's out of your reach that there's there's no way you're ever going to be able to have again but you can't stop pressing that bruise and that's what comes out of a lot of their songs is this blip this but you know this i fucked up feeling in some of their songs like i've screwed this thing up my dad got me this job and i messed it up it should have been the simplest thing in the world i had this person that i i i was at least obsessed with and i think was probably in love with and i messed that up and now i'm playing that tape over in my head over and over you know and i and and that and the, and the way that like that up as you say the up and down the tonality of those songs and the way that the the imagistic impressionistic approach of the lyrics um, makes it feel it's not something where you can just sit down and go oh that's an interesting song about love there's something more to it there's something in, in each in all of their songs is a, is a basic struggle with oneself 
You know, am I even saying this thing right? I know I didn't do this thing right. Like, what has happened to my life? And there's something about that that comes through successfully in a way that is very, very difficult to do without sounding goth or sounding all like boo-hoo. And I'm not against goth and boo-hoo. Unlike John Roderick, I happen to love Morrissey. But there's, there's, there's something very special about being able to articulate a kind of enduring low-level buzz of pain and, and uh, regret that starts to become a pretty good friend to most people once they reach middle age is going, ah, I really could have done that better. And I think that they, with rock and roll, articulate that better than just about anybody. I can definitely, I can definitely see that. Um, yeah, I think that's that's one of the things that helps this thing get its hooks into me because I think, well, I can only speak for myself, but I've had experiences much like that at, I mean, I'm only 30, but <laughs> uh, yeah, just for the painful nostalgia. Yeah, you look back on, I could probably pick something from last week uh, that's going to be painful nostalgia, at least for the next, till the end of this month, but uh, <laughs> no. But also, you know, stuff from, oh, my 20s, my teenage years, my early adolescence, you know, you name it. And it's, it's, it's uh, something that's only going, the older you get, you, you're going to have more of that for this to hook onto. Yeah, and I, this is uh, an affliction I've only discovered probably in the last five years for myself that I feel personally. But I think there's something that everybody has. You don't have to be a Buddhist to believe this, but I think there's something that everybody Almost everybody has, and it's just that most people don't realize they have it, which is a terrible combination of fretting about the past and worrying about the future. And if you think about all of the bad emotions that come up and all the things that make us feel like shit about ourselves, I think so many of those things come from fretting about something you screwed up in the past and worrying about something you can't control in the future. And in both cases, there's, there's a commonality, which is that they are, those are sad and depression-making things, but they're also out of your control. And, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that this is the vision of the Wrens, but part of what makes the Wrens so special is that in expressing that kind of like, oh, my God, I taught guitar and made $13,000 this year. This sucks. Thirteen grand a year in the Meadowlands. Bored in rural poor. Lord at 35 right, I'm the best 17-year-old ever. Still one of my one of my favorite lyrics of all time. Because it really nails that uh, feeling of like, I can't believe that's how I spent the last year. And what does that foretell about how the next one's gonna go? But but then you get up on stage and you rock out and you express those kinds of feelings in a really propulsive way where you don't have to sit there and dissemble the song. Like you can you can enjoy that on a really visceral level just as as rock and roll. And, and one thing in talking about, uh, this is this is kind of pretentious, but when you talk about the difficulty of, when, when an album means a lot to you, you say to somebody, well, you know, it's kind of hard to just go and listen to this one track from it. You really kind of need to hear it all at once in a row. Uh, you know, it reminds me a little bit of like my favorite movies where I might enjoy, you know, the scene where Michael Corleone goes to dinner with Salazzo and the cop. And he's got to go to the bathroom and get the gun and, and, and shoot them. Spoilers, and it, spoilers. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's such, such an amazing scene. But, you know, in order to really appreciate the wonder of that scene, you kind of got to watch the whole movie to really, really appreciate it in context. And it's not nearly as extreme, you know, with an album of 13 songs. But uh, I think that's, I think when, that's when you know it really works as an album, is, is when, you th- when you see a song as almost like a trailer for the record, rather than being this thing that stands on its own. I think, looking here, I think She Sends Kisses, This Boy is Exhausted, uh, X-Girl Collection, and Everyone Choose Sides which is technically, that's a typo. It's actually everyone chooses sides. Um, that's a typo they just kept and keep calling it that now. But those songs could stand and do would stand fine to just go play on a college radio station. I think, I think absolutely. And, you know, as it happens, those are actually some of my favorites from the record. But, you know, what else is funny is, is like sometimes when I've heard a record so much, especially if I've been listening to it for five or 10 or 15 years, sometimes a song will start and I'll go, nah. I think I, I like this song okay. I've heard it 70 times. I don't know if I'm... It's not one of my favorites. And every time Happy comes on, the second song on the record, you know, you're the one I want, it comes on, I'm always like, I like this song, but I might skip it. 
I end up listening to it and I'm going, what were you thinking? This song is so good. It, it builds up and builds up and builds up and then just the giant explosion. And it's, uh, I don't know, pretty tremendous. definitely just I, I freely admit that i'm a very bad music listener uh i've got that adhd thing where i'm i can't just sit down close my eyes and listen to a record i'm usually doing something else while i'm listening to music so but i know one of the things that just gets me when i'm listening is is slow build-ups bomb and when something like 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 a song like happy that suddenly just explodes right when you're Oh, and does that little breakdown to the do 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 the little guitar part? Yeah, and then yeah, and it becomes like a different song. <laughs> I know, I I'm, I I absolutely love that trick in music, and some of my my favorite songs and some of my favorite bands tend to do that with with regularity, but not too overuse, thankfully. I, I I'm the same way. I um, are, do you like uh, or familiar with, or do you like Godspeed You Black Emperor? You know, uh, I'm familiar with them. They kind of I I I never really successfully got into them because it's that is their whole shtick for me seems to be the the trick from happy done about <laughs> well uh, 20 times over the course of a 20 minute song i got an argument i got an argument in college with my friend uh richard and i i don't think he was accurate in this statement but it's a great statement he says the problem is their songs are all overture like, <laughs> there's no development it's all just build up and you know and ex explosiveness but this is the same thing with godspeed you black em emperor like if east hastings comes on um like you know the song that's well known from um what is it 28 days later from when um the guy with the eyelashes is wandering through london after he wakes up in the hospital that's the song that's playing when he goes and london is completely empty there's no people in it um and i, I get put that song and i think oh god ugh. I've heard this song so many times. I, I, no way can I listen to this again. This is so pretentious. It's just all about this buildup with the strings. And then, I, but the thing is, three minutes in, and I'm hooked, and I'm playing it again, and I go back and play it again, and you know, and that's that's the thing about a great song is it is the intellectual enjoyment of me standing here on you know sitting here at a podcast and telling you about this ten year old album. It's it's nothing compared to the. I'm I'm having trouble articulating it because it really it's such a personal thing. These they do get their hooks into you in a way that goes way beyond the intellect. It goes way beyond. I mean, that's what rock and roll does. Rock and roll is stupid. Rock and roll is not a super smart person genre. It's about, you know, boom, boom stuff and drinking and sex and driving around in cars and stuff. But there's, but done well, uh, it can really, really pack a punch. And, uh, and so it's, it's funny where if I haven't listened to something for a while, I'll put it on. It's, it's very interesting to me what will stick with me now. Where like I might hear about some band that everybody's talking about. There's a bunch of guys in Brooklyn with twirly mustaches. Check it out, and I'll go. That's really good. Like I get this. They play drums on each other's head. I get it. That's fun. But it doesn't stay with me in the same way as Neutral Milk Hotel. It doesn't stay with me in the same way as Lorenz or uh, or REM or the Long Winters for that matter. Like you know, those those bands. There's something under the surface that can't be articulated that is where the pot the the lid is barely staying on the pot a lot of the time and uh, i think that's the stuff that sticks with me over time yeah there there has to be that i think emotional connection uh for something that really you know gets its hooks into you and it, it does vary from person to person i i know i've I haven't bought their records, but I've been to a few shows where the opening band is one of those, you know, twirly mustache hipsters from Brooklyn playing drums over each other's heads. I think about three of them opened for John for the Long Winters back in October uh, when they played. <laughs> he's uh, he's very gracious about twirly mustache bands opening for him. <laughs> yeah, it was also the the CMJ thing. So I don't. I mean, aside from Elmer Friedberger, who was amazing, uh, I think you know there was like no control over who was on the band, who was on the bill besides the Long Winters. So like. Okay, here's here's four random bands from who who happened to be in town today, and uh, Eleanor Friedberger, and and then Mr. Roderick, and 
it just so happens that I think at least three of those were, you know, your twirly, uh, especially the ones that were. Nothing against that. I'm just, I'm saying for myself, it seems, it seems like for a run starting around sometimes, sometimes after the strokes, it seems like about every six to eight months, there was a new band from, from Scotland or, or England, or there's another band that sounded a little bit like Joy Division that everybody got into for a while. And, uh, some of them endure and sound great. But uh, it didn't grab me that same way. And, and here's the other part of it, though, with the Wrens is I think, you know, Charles is such a fiddler. I used to uh, um, call him Pedal Boy because he has so many pedals and so much going on with, with, with doing stuff to his sound. He knows exactly what he's doing, though. I mean, he's not, he's not just sitting there like noodling to noodle. He has – he's building this big tapestry of sound whenever he's playing, which I really admire, love to watch. But they don't make it easy for you. Like uh, everyone chooses sides. term for it but i'm pretty sure that that sound at the beginning where the sound is chopping up and it sounds like a guitar cable is being plugged in and, and you think that the song it sounds like a tape that was sitting in a car for too long and it's all screwed up sounding that's on purpose they did some kind of bit down sampling to that to create that 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 crunchy machinery sound to the music and then it goes just straight into the donk donk don 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 but that <laughs> they did that on purpose so they don't make it easy for you it isn't like they they are going to give you the the simple lines and then show you how to color it in but you know over time those kinds of little little ticks and funny things and hearing them talk and walk around and change instruments and stuff that kind of stuff is becomes really endearing it really it leaves plenty of room for the human soul right and yeah, you know, there, there's. I, I have actually have very little add to that because I, I, I admire that human element to it. Uh, I mean, I personally, I, I grew up on classic rock and roll. Uh, lately, I've in my recent years, I've gravitated more to like electronic music. Aren't you into Devo? Isn't that your big band? Yes. Or is it Zappa? What is it no, that you're really into? Zappa and Devo. Devo is number one. Zappa is up there, but, uh, but I, I was raised like I said on classic. There's always that human element, and even the best of the mechanical electronic stuff I like has that human soul to it that makes that you can hear something emotional, something human that you can reach out and connect to. If it's just a wall of uh, endless, you know, perfect, perfect synthesized, everything quantized, no, drum beats, everything, it's, it, it loses an important element. Look at LCD sound system. Um, that, that one song about his professor who died. That song was like when something good is gone. Someone great, yeah. Someone great, yeah. Something great is gone. I mean, that's I find that song, even if you don't know the whole backstory on it, whatever that song is about, it's incredibly moving, and it's it's. A, I mean, I'm just trying to. I haven't listened to it in probably a year, but it's an electronic song. It's yeah. it's a kind of inorganic song, but it's it's so plaintive. There's something about it that like he just can't keep this in. And, you know, he's just letting it out a little drib and drab at a time. And by the end, it sounds like he's ready to just break down. And that's that's hard to do without being um, mawkish. Yeah. Very difficult to do. It's very funny you brought that that up because uh, Friday evening I went to a concert uh, to see a band called Churches. And between the opening act and the band, they you know, got someone playing music and they put on someone great. And about... <laughs> At least around me, there are at least you know twenty people singing along <laughs> to this DJ I, track. What a mean! What a mean sound man! What a cruel thing to do! Could you imagine putting that on before some band comes up there? What a horrible thing to do! Because you you can't play music that people love <laughs> between bands. And yet here, here this guy was here this guy was doing it, and I, I was glad it was it was actually one of the highlights of the evening, just like being around people <laughs> these strangers. We're all like sing along. Isn't that funny? Sound system. Yeah. I was at I was at a show. I'll never I'll never forget this. I think it was a show here in San Francisco. And you know, 
I, I the the sound man must have been either really clueless or really hated the band that was about to come on, which was some kind of don't yell at me music band. And he played, he dropped in New Day Rising by Husker Du. So everyone's standing there, standing around having their drinks, and suddenly hear dunka 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 New Day Rising, which is like everybody's one of everybody's favorite Husker Du records. Every you know people who love that record like me know every. Every track inside and out. And then by the time it gets into Girl Who Lives on Heaven, Heaven's Hill, he's fading it down. Or But you hear this audible, aww. <laughs> you never want to hear aww from the audience before you come on. <laughs> what a dick. I, I, I've had that experience, too. I, and I don't know. I don't I don't have any exact. But I know I've, I've there's been sound guys who have done that for done that to me. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Um trying to think of things i wonder if it'd be useful to think about ways in you know there's a couple couple ways into the rents that i think are pretty good um involving videos there's some good stuff out there uh there are last time i checked anyway over the years i've seen numerous really fun uh live performances by the rents some stuff where they'll basically do their songs like on a radio show with just like available instruments there's one where jerry plays a box of cornflakes for drums and uh those are really good Two two really I think pretty pretty great videos of theirs to watch. One's official, one's non official, but good. The um, uh, everyone choose sides video, the one on the submarine. Have you seen that one? I have not. I, I actually did not get around to looking up music videos of the rest. That's a, that's a, that's a good like official video from the band. It's kind of corny. It almost looks like something from the early days of MTV. But uh, but that's that'll show you what the band looks like. Um, but I gotta say, there's one that, to the best of my knowledge, was made by a fan that I think is incredibly moving, which is a stop-motion animation version of She Sends Kisses, that it's, you know, it's a, a little on the nose, but in a way that works, where it basically plays out the lyrics of the song in stop-motion. And, you know, I don't know if you've sat down and really, like, listened to or read the lyrics of that song, but like, like I said before, I, I think it's, it's just incredibly moving. Um, so those, those are all pretty good. Uh, you know, and I have to say also, there, there are other records. If you're looking for something that's a little bit easier to get into, um, shoot, what was their record right before this? Um, Secaucus is amazing, which is all this stuff is, I think Meadowlands is pretty easy to find. I imagine you can find Secaucus out there. Secaucus has, um, has one of my very close to favorite Ren songs of all time on it, um, Rest Your Head. But if you go back Sakakas, Silver, you keep moving backwards. You're, it's funny if you are a Pixies fan <laughs> to realize how much they sounded like the Pixies at one point. To come up with an album like, not, not in a bad way, like, God, I, I would happily listen to a band that sounds like the Pixies over a band that sounds like a lot of other bands. But um, it's amazing that you could come up with something from Meadowlands when, when a few years before they sounded a lot like the Pixies. I mean, just in terms of the stop-start, herky-jerky, vocals the whole nine um but god if you're gonna pick an influence that's a pretty good one yeah this this would be a bad time to say that i'm not terribly familiar with the pixies and uh this is this is a personal failing because i have multiple people who have told me to get my get off my butt and go check out their records yeah i would say just get a copy of um i mean there's any i i had this on i seen it it was a CD that had Come On Pilgrim and Surfer Rosa, but Surfer Rosa is the one, one to start with. Doolittle is way more accessible, but Surfer Rosa is them at the top of their game, I think. A lot of people like the later Pixie stuff a lot. I, I wasn't that familiar with it. I was already, I was getting more into, you know, Guided by Voices type bands, the Merge and Matador bands by then. But um, but yeah, you could you can't go wrong with that. But I would say go out and gobble up anything you can by these guys. Some of it is is more, it's easier to get into. But um, it all, you know, it all tells a story. It all builds up. And I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here in front. I cannot wait to hear what they come up with next. I mean, it's uh, whatever it is. I, I, you know, I, I can't wait. I'm just glad they're putting something out. It's such a good feeling. It's like finally having a poop, you know? I can, I can definitely see that one. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it too. I'm just, I, I'm, this is, you, you've given me something to check out that has me intensely curious for more. And I, Still can't stop listening to the Meadowlands. I actually was listening to it per, almost right before we did our call. Um, had to go run an errand, go get my haircut. So you know, pop plug plug in my plug in my headphones on my iPhone and and start blasting them as I walk to to and from. 
Well, I'm really, I mean, I, uh, I'm, first of all, I'm grateful for you having me on. I'm grateful for you being open to uh, checking it out. But it's great to hear that, that, that uh, it resonated with you. Because it's, you know, like everything, it's not for everybody, you know? No, it, nothing ever is. But I always, one of the reasons why I started the this podcast, even in its original incarnation, was just, I absolutely get infuriated by the whole, oh, I don't want you to know about this band I like because then you'll like them and then they'll they won't be cool anymore. You know, it's not going to be my thing anymore. Right. That that always infuriates me because if there's an artist, if there's something you love, the more you share it, the more likely there will be more of what you love. You know, the, especially yeah. for music. There's so, I mean, I, uh, this is, I have to imagine almost purely a result of age and the things that come out of age. But um, it just feels like there's more stuff than ever out there and it's harder and harder for me to get into any of it. And with a record like this, I feel like with all the bands I like, I mean, I, I, I feel like with the Long Winners, I can recommend that somebody go out and listen to Car Parts and just because that's my favorite Long Winter song. And, you know, uh, or... Um, Oh God, where do you begin? Blue Diamonds, like any, you know, there's so many great long winners singles, if you like, that, you know, I happen to think that When I Pretend to Fall is another one of those albums that I just listen to all the way through because that's how it goes. I have to listen to it. It's got two sides. You can hear where you would flip the record over, you know? Yeah. Like the, the, this album changes. It ends It ends with this uh, with this big dun, 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 dun. It's got a huge buildup, stops, you flip it over. And then, uh, dun, 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 stupid, you know, start side two, basically. <laughs> I don't know if you're like that, but I hear stupid as like the first track on side two, even though I've never owned it as an LP. I don't know if I, I think I'll probably start hearing it, hearing it that way now. But when I pretend to fall is another straight through record, I will occasionally put on, uh, Blue Diamonds was my first like hook into the long winters. I just played yeah. that song over and over again. There's always just one song on a record I find that. Is usually what my gateway. Yeah, well, it's. Um, I have to say that of, of John Roderick's many gifts, one of them that I, I hope time will remember him for is he's an amazing track sequencer. He's so it's such an underappreciated art. I think uh, it's one of those things like good design where you don't really notice it unless it sucks. But try to imagine listening to When I Pretend to Fall in any other order. It could be better. There's one Spoon record. What was it? Give me fiction. There's one Spoon record. As much as I loved Spoon at the time, I could not get into it. And I heard this really dumb thing. My friend said, I think the rumor for a while was that it had been unintentionally mastered in reverse order, which I think is virtually impossible. But they said, try listening to it with the tracks backwards. And it works about 20 times better (laughs) if you listen to Give Me Fiction backwards. It's totally strange. But uh, yeah. It's, you know, music is such a personal thing. And if it's not a personal thing, then it becomes something like candies that you just kind of woof down. You might be really into it for a while and move on to the next one. But the stuff that means the most to me, I mean, yeah, I'll recommend it to people. I'll recommend it ad nauseum. I will never stop recommending the move to people. None of my friends get into the move like I get into the move. But I'll never stop recommending it because it's, I think it's so underappreciated for how awfully good it is. And if you like Cheap Trick, you really need to listen to the move. If you like ELO, obviously, you need to listen to the move. But whenever I post that stuff on Tumblr, it's like nothing. Nobody is interested. But it's not going to stop me because that's the job of an evangelist. It's not a question of, of you liking it or me being all right. It's, it's a question of me getting this out there over and over until the people who should be hearing this and didn't know it find out about it. You know, every day somebody's born who's never seen the Flintstones. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I, I feel the same way about a lot of the stuff that I that I adore. Uh, if if you're curious, you can go back and maybe listen to some of the original Crush on Radio episodes that uh, were there. We we there were three of us, and we'd have picks sometimes that would just absolutely fall flat and to our utter dismay. Uh, I'm a big fan of. Are you familiar with a group called Perubu? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried throwing Perubu at. To my co-host twice. You just you and, like weird you like weird bands from Ohio. <laughs> no, that's not just Ohio, just weird bands. Uh, well, Devo, isn't Devo from Ohio? Yeah. Oh, but well, I've got weird bands from all over. <laughs> <laughs> but I I remember you know especially Matt who um, who I'm usually simpatico with musically. I was so disappointed when I found out that Perubu just did not connect. I got through this with comics as much as I seem to obsess about comics on podcasts. Well, that's partly because of that same mandate or or missive that same feeling not missive well that's not what that means the same um mission is that i feel like i want to get this stuff out there and 
my responses on Twitter and in email tell me that there's no such thing as talking about something too much. Because, you know, for example, when Dan and I started selling t-shirts for Back to Work, I felt like I tried to be circumspect about it and not talk about it too much. But I know if we sell more shirts, we make more money. And people who want shirts can get them. And I talked about it as exactly as much as I thought I should, which was just up to the level of talking about it too much. Because you got to do that. It's what I do for a living, right? Yeah. And uh, But I cannot tell you, as soon as the shirts started shipping, I cannot tell you how many people were livid that they had not heard that there were T-shirts for sale. Now, there's no way to prevent that from happening, but every month that goes by that somebody who loves comics isn't reading Hawkeye, that's a bummer. They should be reading that. They'll find other if they if they like comics they're gonna like Hawkeye you know if they like Back to Work they might like this shirt but the the, the analogy though is it's so perplexing to me when where was I I was on a podcast not too long ago and uh, oh no you know what it was Moises Chuyan had a podcast and Casey List was on and he wasn't into somebody on the show wasn't into Hawkeye and it became it instantly turned into an intervention. Because there's a funny thing that happens. If there's something that you and your pals all really like a lot that's just unimpeachably great, like on every level, and then you meet somebody who doesn't like it, it, it makes you look at yourself like, what's, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with this person? Why would they not be really into that? And uh, I have to say the difference, though, is with somebody like the Wrens or the Smiths or Sloan or Godspeed You Black Emperor, there's just a whole bunch of bands where like, I know they're not for everybody, but man, are they ever for me. So, you know, getting the word out to people who may not know about it, you know, there's a lot of noise out there. And being able to hear somebody that you that you like or whose tastes seem to kind of go along with that, you know, I'm sorry if you're sick of me talking about that thing, but, like, that's how people find out about stuff, you know? I don't want to tell people go out and buy 500 comics. I want to say if you're interested in this, here's two titles to try. And every day somebody will hear that who never heard it before, and I think that's a good thing. You know, when I had to do the whole dance to empty comicsology, I finally got me off my butt to get all five issues of uh, Sex Criminals, thanks to you, and the first volume of Saga. I still haven't gotten around to Hawkeye, but I'll get to it one of these days. Um, and as for, you know, there's some of this talk with regards to music about, you know, discovery algorithms and uh, we'll identify your taste and, you know, put on iTunes radio or Spotify or whatever, well, you'll discover all kinds of new music from what you know you like. And there's no substitute for hearing someone you know who has some commonality with you telling you, I like this, check it out, I hope you'll like it. Right. It's no computer algorithm can match that. They get pretty close. They have gotten awfully good because we are far more quantifiable than any of us would like to think. But I, I do agree with you, um, especially when it comes to stuff like comics. I think it can be like that with music, but I, you know, I, I notice in particular with TV, even more so than movies, music, comics, TV doesn't – how do I put this? It doesn't age as well as those other media. So, like for example, like I know I should love Buffy. I can't get into Buffy. Or I, I don't want to say can't. I haven't gotten into Buffy, and I've tried because it's a totally like a missing piece. Everybody I know and admire in that I run with in certain uh, circles, like in the incomparable uh, crowd, like that that's one of everybody's favorite shows, and I've just never gotten into it. Or, you know, it's kind of like how I am with The Wire. We're like, I, you know, I don't know if The Wire has the same resonance today that it did, whatever, eight or nine years ago. I continue to recommend that to people because you still, believe it or not, encounter people who've never watched The Wire. Well, that's stupid. <laughs> that includes me. Well, if you know, if you like dramatic TV shows, if you're one of those HBO people, you know, it's it's one of those things where you're like, well, I really hope you'll put it on your list because it's worth, you know. But uh, but TV shows in particular, it's sometimes something about 80s and 90s TV is kind of hard to get into. Sometimes it looks really weird. You know, I grew up with it, so it doesn't look weird to me. But then again, I'm also the kind of person who will. It doesn't get more 80s, 90s for me, at least in terms of TV production, than watching an old episode of Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> yeah, that's special, though. Yeah, that then that's timeless. Uh, I'm going to make sure, to, uh, hopefully I'll maybe try to get to a wire after this last season of Boardwalk Empire. That, that That's my show. Well, now it's probably, it's so oversold, so oversold at this point, you know. Uh, everybody's talked about it so much. People like me have really ruined it, you know. Well, you well, how, can I, how can it be ruined if I've never even seen it, though? That's the thing. If you don't know... And I, this is a personal failing of mine with music, is I get really worried about when I hear a lot of people talking about, music, about a certain song or a certain band or something. For years, I refused to listen to Depeche Mode 
Um, you, I, I can hear you rolling your eyes. No, uh, no, it was the same way with Radiohead. I was like, if I hear one more person, like I like Paranoid Android back when most of you were in third grade, but like uh, everybody, it was so de rigueur to be, it was one of those Jason Kotke bands, like where everybody had to be into this band. It was like, it was like, like David Foster Wallace. It was like, there was, if you were to say a word against Radiohead, you would be seen as such a cretin. And I just thought, I just, it's fine. Like, I'm not that into it. But it, I got, I got really, uh, I got really tired of people ramming it down my throat all the time and acting like it was some kind of article of faith that we all have to agree that Radiohead is the best pop band of the last 30 years. But that was your, that was your Depeche Mode, huh? Yeah. And I still can't get into Radiohead, to be honest. Oh, well. I really, I really like, I now have returned to OK Computer over the years and I really, really like it now. But, uh, but then there are bands like Sloan that like historically for what, 15 years has been one of my favorite bands, but I've always taken breaks from Sloan. This is a funny phenomenon that as maybe again, it's being older or getting more into podcasts or something. But you know, when I have time to fill, I, I do take breaks from Sloan. Well, I used to be really into Sloan at first for a year. And then I take a break for a while. I'd be really into them for six months. I'd be really in, and it feels like the breaks are getting longer, and the times that I'm into them are getting shorter. So I, I think I might be outgrowing them just a little bit. I still love them, but you know, it, it's it's unfair to compare them to somebody like Dylan or somebody. But it doesn't it doesn't have the same penetrating uh, power on a variety of levels that that other stuff does. Whereas, like I say, like when I pretend to fall by long winters, I can continue to listen to pretty much any time. Don't tell him I said that. <laughs> uh, I haven't, I haven't uh, officially set a date to chat with Mr. Roderick, so I guess we'll... You should talk to him about British Steel or Eliminator, ZZ Top's Eliminator. I love the hell out of Eliminator, but I've never listened to British That's Steel. That's like one so. of his favorite albums of all time because of the keyboards. Eh, that's that's one huh? of the things I love I love about it. Too. You're welcome. You're yeah. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but British Steel, that's uh, I'm not familiar with that one at all. Judas Priest, breaking the law, breaking the law. Oh, okay. I know that song. I just don't know that uh, metal has, or even, or metal, or even hair metal has never been one of my things. So I'll give that a shot. British Steel's pretty great. It's um, it came out when I was in seventh or eighth grade, and it was so dangerous. It sounded so scary. And this is nobody today seems to remember a time when Satanism was something that everybody was obsessed about. Mainstream media was obsessed with Satan and who's a Satanist and who's committing suicide because they're listening to Judas Priest. Judas Priest went to court over this. They got sued over a kid who committed suicide supposedly because of one of their songs. Ozzy Osbourne, you know, torn apart in the media because of Suicide Solution. And uh, but you know, British Steel now like like things like Husker Du, which sounded so hardcore at the time. Uh, British Steel or, uh, you know, um, Iron Maiden from the same time. It just sounds like pop music now. <laughs> it sounds like like crunchy pop music. It's like power pop, basically. Mm -hmm. It's it's one of the – I see occasionally online just like backlashes against old music. How do you not like the Beatles, for one? Um, and I realize that – To quote Robert Pollard, Bob Pollard from Guided by Voices says, not liking the Beatles, man, that's like not liking air. Exactly. <laughs> and yet I, I realize that if you're – I'm guessing there's – this is probably people younger than younger than both of us that grew up not to, not only to live with this stuff saturated into the air. You can't go a day, I think, without hearing the Beatles at least once. If you don't, you'll hear it twice the next day to make up for it. But they also don't have they don't have you know. There's so many things where think about how many things we ended up loving were because of proximity to people and places that we love, like songs that were I can remember like a very specific. You know, standing in line waiting for pancakes one morning in military school when Heartache Tonight was on. Like, I have very, very specific recollections for songs. And they don't have that. I mean, the Beatles was fucking 50 years ago. It's it's old, old, old music, you know. And like Ber Leonard Bernstein said, you're not obligated to appreciate any music that was made <laughs> in your lifetime. But, uh, you know, I, I, I can see why people aren't as into it and you know the Beatles are like it's a whole trip where you go through the whole journey of the Beatles and personally I I can't I'll put all I would say it's not that I can't imagine somebody not liking the Beatles it's that I can, I can completely understand somebody not liking them as much as I do so I think that's just a you know grown-up way to be right that that makes sense but uh, not liking them at all just it seems alien to me well to 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 have listened 
to Rubber Soul and Revolver and understanding what those albums meant in context, if you listen to those four or five times and can't get into them, you definitely shouldn't listen to the Beatles. You know, I mean, it's just not your thing probably, yeah. you know. But everybody should listen to Meadowlands by the Rens because it's really good. Yes, and there will be a link to buy that on uh, iTunes in the show notes. Nice. Because that's that's how that's how the kids are doing it these days, if not streaming it all on the Spotify or something. Yeah. I I still I I I subscribed to Ardia for one month and I was only just using it to listen to stuff that I didn't have on my phone. I don't do any of those. I got too many subscriptions to stuff already. Yeah. I can't keep up with the stuff I've already got. I don't it's it's I um uh, actually one of the people who I learned about the rents from, Catherine Yu, coined a phrase back in the days of DVDs called Notflix. And it's that feeling of guilt that you get when you come home and keep seeing the same Netflix CD or same Netflix DVD that you haven't watched for like two weeks. And you feel guilty about something you're paying for. Wait, it's like ne- that's... Ne- Netflix mails you DVDs? I thought they were just doing all the streaming. Yeah, back in the day. Well, you know, you, you say, oh, I'm going to go get this Truffaut film. And then you come home from work. In my case, I just want to watch people have pillow fights. Like I'm not really into like, you know, watching Alphaville or something. Um, Alphaville. But uh, yeah, that's how it goes. Well, thank you again for 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 joining me on this uh, inaugural episode of uh, I guess I can technically call this season three of Crush on Radio. Well, thank you for having me, Richard. A. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm really glad we got to be pals. Yeah, likewise. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, you know, uh, can we can where can we where can we find you on the internets? No, don't find me on the internet. What I want to find out is where can people find show notes for this episode. Um, you'll probably be able to find show notes at crushonradio.com. I'm not huh. entirely sure when this is going to be going on the uh, on the internets. Um, I was hoping to get a couple in the can and then to sort of dole them out. We're recording this in October of 1998. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, how do you feel about the uh, the 2000 elections? Who do you think is going to win on that one now? No. Oh, yeah. gosh. I think McGovern is going to run away with it. That guy's got moxie. 